Okay, we're recording, and uh, this will be August 2nd and Revelation 15. So again, the final sidebar, the final uh, details of a lot of the scenes that we've been seeing right along. And um, so let's, uh, let's begin with Revelation 15, verse 1. Then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. So let, let's, uh, and I think Roshni just came in. Welcome. And uh, feel free to unmute and ask questions when you need to, Roshni. Don't, don't hesitate. Uh, let's try to fit this in, into the context, the, uh, the progression of what's happening. The seventh trumpet <clears throat> is now going to sound with these seven angels. The first of the seven trumpets goes back to Revelation 8, right? So I want to review that so we remember what's happening. The seventh trumpet is about to sound. Here was the first one, Revelation 8, verse 1. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was a silence throughout heaven for about half an hour. I saw seven angels who stand before God, and they were given seven trumpets. All right now, here comes trumpets one, two, three, and four, just to review, building up to trumpet number seven. All right, so verse seven in Revelation 8, the first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down on the earth. One-third of the earth was set on fire, one-third of the trees were burned, and all the green grass was burned. And if you remember when we studied that, this is probably in the context of the Middle East, uh, where John is. And so when they talk about one-third, it's likely they're talking about one-third of, of uh, the Middle East, which would be familiar to those who are, are reading this. And then verse 8, <clears throat> trumpet number 2. The second angel blew his trumpet, and a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. One-third of the water in the sea became blood. One-third of all things living in the sea died, and one-third of all the ships at sea were destroyed. And again, probably we're talking about all the ships in the uh, Mediterranean uh, Sea. Again, this is local geography, most probably. All right, so that's trumpets one and two. Then comes trumpet number three. Then the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from the sky, burning like a torch. It fell, one th it, uh, fell on one-third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was Bitterness, and it made one-third of the water bitter, and many people died from drinking the, the bitter water. And then we have trumpet number four. Then the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and one-third of the sun was struck, one-third of the moon, one-third of the stars, and they became dark, and one-third of the day was dark, also one-third of the night. All right, so that's one through four. Now the fifth and sixth trumpets sound, as you may recall, in Revelation 9, uh, beginning in verse 5. Well, let's go to verse 1. I'm sorry. Uh, then the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen to earth from the sky, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. 
When he opened it, smoke poured out as though from a huge furnace, and the sunlight in the air turned dark from the smoke. Then the locust came from the smoke and descended on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. They were told not to harm the grass or the plants or the trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And if you uh, recall the... Uh, the star here that that was that fell from heaven and was given the key to open the abyss is Satan himself, and uh, and so that happens at trumpet number five. All right, building up now, we're almost there. Trumpet number six, and that's verse uh, thirteen in uh, Revelation nine. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet. And I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. And the voice said uh, to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. Then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were turned loose to kill one-third of all the people on earth. And I heard the size of their army, which was 200 million mounted troops. And then it says, in my vision, I saw horses and the riders sitting on them, and the riders wore armor that was fiery red and dark blue and yellow. And the horses had heads like lions, and fire and smoke and burning sulfur billowed from their mouths. One third of all the people on earth were killed by these three plagues, by the fire and smoke and burning sulfur that came from the mouths of the horses. Their power was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails had heads like snakes with the power to injure people. And then verse 20, very significant. But the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. And they continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, uh, wood, uh, and idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. All right, so after that, after verse 9, then we, uh, or chapter 9, we have an interlude period here. And if you remember, there's an angel, uh, remember that, that opens a small scroll in chapter 10, and John is told to eat the scroll. And at first, remember, it, it tastes like honey. It tastes very sweet. And then it becomes very bitter uh, in his stomach. And we noted that generally, the majority of commentators sense that that scroll represents the Word of God. So Scripture in its entirety and God's plan for mankind were contained in that little scroll. And, and John internalizes this and when he first receives the word it's like honey it's very sweet very pleasant and then all of a sudden as the application of scripture happens when we have to walk out scripture in our lives in the midst of trials and tribulations the word of god can become a little bitter in our stomachs so to speak uh, and, and it's difficult sometimes to follow God's plan rather than ours because of sin that's in the world, and we still have a, a sinful nature. So um, generally, it's the sense that, that Scripture and God's plan t 
to the person who first receives it is very sweet and 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 calming and beautiful and then you have to start walking it out and sometimes that gets a little bitter so does that make sense yeah okay somebody had a All right. comment Go uh -huh. ahead. i have a comment so yes. when does this um that we're doing in 15 when is this supposed to come in in the time line in the we're, timeline of all of the revelation yeah we'll uh i'll, I'll hone in on that in just a few moments the end okay. of chapter 15 let me let me rephrase that the end of chapter 11 the end of chapter 15 and the beginning of chapter 16 all mesh together Whereas most of chapters 12 through 15 have been sidebars as we approach chapter 15 here, and as we move through it, we get, we get more of the timeline coming that's going to come right up and bump up against chapter 16. All right. So but is 15 um, at the, at the beginning of the, the um or the the middle of the tribulation or do we have more i mean if a third of the people are killed on earth are we talking at the middle of um the tribulation yeah. are we talking is this going to lead quickly into armageddon uh it it in part describes armageddon but armageddon won't be named by name until chapter 16 uh, so what, what 15 is doing, again, these chapters 12 through, through 15 get a little murky uh, in terms of the timeline because they're covering so much territory. Remember, they're not a chronology. However, that said, when we get to chapter 15 here, we start to hone in, and it all is converging on the last trumpet, the seventh okay. trumpet. Okay, and so as we look at chapter 15, we're probably at least uh, halfway through the tribulation, three and a half years probably, uh, or, or bumping right up against it when the seventh uh, trumpet sounds. And then in that last part, of course, uh, remember that the Antichrist is, all of this is, a lot of this is happening simultaneously. The Antichrist is starting his rise uh, to power first as a peacemaker, and then as a a very dubious and deadly uh, deadly character. So, so this is this is um, more in the mi in the middle, the seventh the seventh trumpet is at toward the end, and is this toward the three and a half year mark then? Th 15. This is probably closer to the middle, if not a little beyond it. Okay. Yeah. In I have a scope. question. Yes. Um, in chapter 15, it's again referring to the word plague. And I know many people consider plague to be a plague. Is that the interpretation in chapter 15? Or is plague representing some other activity? Uh, some of it represents actual plagues. Others of it is others. Other parts of it are metaphorical, and we'll look at that as as we go through. Um, one of the and that's a really good question. 
because, especially when we get to the Battle of, of Armageddon, when John is taking this down, God knows that there are going to be weapons in Armageddon that these people can't relate to. They're not going to relate to tanks. They're not going to relate to jet fighters, you know. Uh, they're not going to re, uh, re relate to ICBMs. And so I think God intentionally put some metaphorical uh, language into this for John to record uh, because they can't, they wouldn't, it, John's readers would not be able to comprehend what actually the literal weapons used at the, in, in Armageddon, if that makes sense. So we have to wade through, there are some plagues, but there's also some metaphorical language that will cover what they can't know at their time, but what we may be well familiar with in the future. But we really don't know either, Mike, do we? Or uh, from what I'm hearing you say, uh, well, it could be imminent, but it may not be. But right. we really don't know what, what weapons will be used, actually. It, we? That's exactly right. And so, okay. yeah, so when we look at that, we have to look at really in, in, in three different lights or three different filters. One is we have to think about the filter that John and the people of his time are looking through. And then we look through our filter and say, well, if this happens tomorrow, it's likely that these could be ICBMs or these could be jet fighters or these could be tanks, you know, coming across the Euphrates River as, as the uh, river dries up. And then, but we also have to consider the future. And uh, if indeed it's going to be a while, then there be weapon, maybe weapons we don't even know about no. that, uh, that are going to be used. So we really have to look at it through three different filters, John's, ours, and then the filters of the future where we may not know. Right. Yeah. Right. Could, a could, a, could a weapon of the future be a plague? Or what is your take on that? I'm sorry, say that again, Sandra. Oh, I, I'm still stuck on the word plague. Uh -huh. I'm sorry. I'm a slow yeah, yeah. learner. It, um, no, no, no. The, it, could a weapon of the future be concerned biological plagues? It, it, may, it may well be, yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, as, as Lee just said, uh, as Lee just pointed out, we don't know for sure, but that could okay. be an interpretation. And, and we'll look at that as we go through. Okay, good, thank you. Good question. Okay. Good question. Okay, chapter 11, not bankruptcy, but Revelation 11. <laughs> remember in the timeline then, John introduces us to the two witnesses. Remember they evangelize through the uh, midst of the tribulation period. And as a result, the beast comes out of the abyss and again, I lean towards the interpretation that this beast who's released by Satan is his agent, uh, who we call the Antichrist. And the Antichrist assassinates the two witnesses because they are against him, and they are preaching the truth of God's word, and they're preaching Christ. And remember the, um, 
the two witnesses are assassinated by the Antichrist. They're left on the streets of the city. We assume it's Jerusalem for three and a half days. Uh, and the world gloats, remember that? And we talked about how if it happened today, we can see the world doing that because of the internet. You know, their, their images can be broadcast all around the world. So when it says the world gloats, uh, that's entirely feasible today. And I'm obviously would be feasible in the future because technology is only going to uh, expand. So uh, they, are, they are left there. Yeah. May I, I hate to interrupt you. I don't know how else to do it. But uh, when you use the word, I've been thinking about that a lot, the gloat. And I read somewhere in the Bible, and you will know that we are not supposed to gloat. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, I don't know where it is, but I, you know, sometimes I'm thinking uh, about not going into it, but politically, I think people want to gloat on both sides. And I've been thinking about that word gloat, gloat, and I think it's ironic that you used it because I was trying to find it in the Bible. Yeah. I was telling my grandkids we are not supposed to gloat about anything. Right. There's, uh, and, and of course, the people doing the, I'm being attacked by my cat. Hang on. <laughs> uh, the, the, the people who are doing the gloating are all non-believers at this point. Okay. You know, these, okay. These are all people that have rejected Christ and are uh, worshiping the Antichrist and worshiping his image in the temple uh -huh. that he's built for himself. So it's uh, the world right now is, I mean, they're, they're just glad the two witnesses were assassinated. In their minds, Christ is done. You can't hang on. Okay. You can't, <laughs> sorry, you, you can't, it's hard for me to imagine a world with no believers in it. I can't uh, it. You know, it, Isn't yeah. That <laughs> yeah. Well, it's pre yeah, pretty much a description of it, yeah. So, um, All right. So did I answer that question? Somewhat? Yes, you did. Okay. Okay. I, I muted myself. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. So, uh, seventh trumpet, chapter 11, verse 15. Okay. And Lori, this is getting close to where we are now on the timeline. Verse 15, chapter 11. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders sitting on their thrones before God fell with their faces to the ground and worshiped him. And they said, We give thanks to you, Lord God, the Almighty, the one who is and always was, for now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were filled with wrath, but now the time of your wrath has come, 
It is time to judge the dead and reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people, and all who fear your name from the least to the greatest. It is time to destroy all who have caused the destruction on the earth. That's a song. I don't know what it's kind of music's going to be behind it, but it's a song. And then uh, in verse uh, 19, then in heaven, and yet we need to look at this really closely, the wording here. Then in heaven, the temple of God was opened and the Ark of the Covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed and roared, and there was an earthquake and a terrible hailstorm. So now in chapter 15, what it's doing is it's detailing that the, the sounding of the seventh trumpet and, and what's, what's happening. And then uh, what happens after that is that uh, chapter 15 says, Then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance, seven angels holding seven last plagues, which would bring God's wrath to completion. And I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire. Remember, we've heard about the glass sea uh, before. There's ever other re uh, references to it in, in Revelation. Uh, isn't it the Marines hymn that has a reference to that, that they're, they're guarding the glassy or the streets of gold? Anyway, uh, there's some debate as to whether... It is. <laughs> yeah, there's some it debate as to whether the two references are to the same thing, the glassy sea. Um, here it is mixed with fire. And I think it's just a metaphorical reference to the fact that on this glassy sea, so to speak, stand all the people who have been victorious over, over the Antichrist They've not worshipped his statue, and they were all holding harps that God had given them. Thank goodness it wasn't violins, but that's just my opinion. So they, <laughs> they all have harps. And uh, so these people that are on this glassy sea right now, they are all the people who have been martyred who have come to Jesus Christ during the, the tribulation all that were killed because of their faith. But the scene here is in heaven, so they are now alive and well, and they are said to have been victorious over the Antichrist or the, or the beast, victorious over the persecution for not worshiping the statue of the uh, Antichrist. I think there's uh, three... Ref uh, well, let me put it this way. There are three verses in uh, 1 Corinthians that I think apply here in terms of victory. And I don't know that Paul was writing this with eschatology in mind, but it certainly fits. 1 Corinthians 15:54. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 55, a verse later. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? 
First, and then two verses later, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the harps, the rejoicing, the song that these people are singing is all in response to finally God's justice is going to happen. Uh, remember those, those people under the altar that we studied early in, earlier in Revelation? And, and they were saying, God, when are you going to dispense your justice? You know, I, if I was one of them, I'd probably be going to say, when are you going to nuke them? <laughs> when are we going to see justice? You know, we, we've been persecuted. We've, we've been martyred. Friends of family members have been killed for their faith. God, when are you going to bring your justice uh, to the earth? Now it's happening. And so there's great rejoicing uh, in heaven over this. And uh, so uh, let me go ahead. I have a, I have a question. Um, since we're right in the center of the, you know, because it's seven years tribulation, of course, going on <clears throat> here in Revelation, as we read, right? Um, that's the future. I don't believe we're in the tribulation right now. I don't believe that. That's my own, you know, opinion. Mm -hmm. But I feel, I sense that we're right there in the center between the three and a half years and the other three and a half years. So as you're going into detail, it sounds to me that we are in the triumph part of the tribulation of that three and a half years that so looks like we're coming to the end of this so then when we start another three and a half years you know um right in the center of seven years so if you do three and a half years if there were a half three and a half years that's seven years of course so we're right there in the middle right now yeah and talking about the triumph Right, and and it's hard it's to nail about, down. It's talking about the trumpet. I'm sorry, trumpet. Not trying. Yeah, trumpet. Trumpet. It, it's hard to nail down a little bit, Roshni, because God doesn't specifically tell us. Uh, uh -huh. But but our best guess is we're. If you could, if if you take a line and you say this line is the three and a half years, we're probably a little in what we're studying now, a little before it and a little after it. In other words, it's spanning a little bit of that. It's not exactly that, that three-and-a-half-year divide. Uh, but except when, in Revelation and in Daniel, when it specifically refers to the three-and-a-half-year period, then we have an exact date. So right yeah. now, we're, we're, yeah. we're probably... Uh, incorporating a little bit on on the one side of the three and a half years and on, on the other side of, of the on the other side of it as well so I, I i just don't want to leave the impression it's exactly three and a half years i i think we're looking at a span of time that is covering maybe a little bit before maybe a little bit after okay um i could disagree with you right right okay that's fine <laughs> So your your sense is it's right at the three and a half years. I, I yeah I strongly feel like it's right there where, because we're talking about the tri, uh, trumpet at this point and you know you're at the you know the sixth angel the seventh is going to come I'm sure right you're going to discuss that right we're yeah angels do. we're so, about to see him or hear him right now yeah, yeah. okay so 
And then I sense that it's from looking at the chapter in the 16th chapter, we're going to go into the the bowls, you know, because it says here, you know, the the seven bowls of God's wrath. So right, yes, and uh, and again, in next week, as we as we get into chapter 16, we'll we'll get into a little more detail about Armageddon. Okay, uh, and and no disrespect to you, I just you know. Uh, in regards to the the trumpets and where we're at, yeah, uh, at all. And again, Mike, we have question. to we have to interpret. So you you could well be right. You know, it's it's not. We don't know, but you you could well be right, yeah. Sandra. Yeah, I I had a question. It might be repetitive of what Arash is trying to communicate. Where are we? The six of us, Cordy, where are compared with the history we're reading about right now? Could you try that again? Your, your cell phone blipped a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. Our meeting group, us, here, yes. listening to you communicate Revelation, right. where are we, do you feel, in the history of what we are studying? Us, physically, right now. Right, right now? Okay, my, my opinion is that the seven-year tribulation has not yet begun. Oh, it's going to get worse? Oh, dear. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a horrible thought. <laughs> I know. Now, but we won't be here, praise God. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and again, Sandra, <laughs> again, Sandra, there are various schools of thought. Uh, the uh -huh. two major uh, schools of thought, and, and they're divergent. Uh, one is called uh, the historical uh, interpretation of Revelation. The other is the futurist interpretation of Revelation. The historical viewpoint says all of this has already happened. The futurist viewpoint is it's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And then there's some in between that we may be in part of it right now. And so one of the... Where are you? Where are yeah, you? I, I'm a futurist. You think it, we, it hasn't got bad enough yet, right? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. And, and I think it's, isn't it the Greek Orthodox that believe that it has already happened, which is the historical part of it that you're stated? I'm not sure, you know, I don't know the Greek Orthodox well enough, but there are uh, quite a few denominations that believe it, it has already happened. Um, yeah. Yeah. Happened, Mike, or happening? Happened, past happened. tense. Okay. Yeah. And then, but then there are also those that, that believe we're in the midst of it. Um, again, in, in order for us to get through it, uh, you know, like I've made the statement at the beginning, I have to take a road and, and travel that. So the road I chose was the futurist road. But along the way, acknowledging that there are other points of view. Uh-huh. You know, I and I, I think that's important. So I'm not saying everyone else is wrong, only I'm right. What I'm saying is this is my sense that it's in the future yet. Uh, I could be totally wrong. but that, what, what do you base that on, Mike? Uh, I base it on what I see in Revelation. 
uh, I don't see the Antichrist yet. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the rapture church. Yeah, and I, I believe in a a a pre <laughs> a pre tribulation rapture, which means we're yes. in heaven when the tribulation begins. But you know, there are also mid trib and post trib people. Um who uh, who would disagree with that? So I, I think as you look at uh, a lot of the more, that's the right word, conservative uh, theologians, Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, Dr. David Jeremiah, um, David Hawking, uh, my seminary, Trinity, uh, you, uh, the you know there there's. Some people that I that I respect enough to say, I'm going to lean that way of it being a futurist. Right. Uh, but there are others that that don't believe that, and that's fine. Um, you know, I I could be totally wrong, but so anyway. Uh, so you asked why do I believe that? It because I don't see the signposts of Revelation happening yet, and we're still here. Uh, uh -huh. So right. as a pre-trib guy. Um, it, it's not that I, because, and I won't go into it now. I, I believe there's evidence that, you know, for a pre, pre-trib rapture, uh, right. more than I'm just hoping to, you know, not be in, in the, you just don't want to be there. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah. So that, that drives that, that's the big thing that drives my perspective. I don't see the antichrist yet. I don't. And we're still here, so at least those two things, plus the things that we're reading about, I don't believe have happened yet. If that's okay, does that make okay. sense? Okay, I was just curious. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, good, good, good questions. Good questions. All right. <clears throat> Revelation 15. Then I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. Seven angels were holding the seven last plagues which would bring God's wrath to completion. I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea, right, mixed with fire, and on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps that God had given them. And now here's the description of the song that they were playing in verse 3. Very interesting. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. So there's two songs at play here. Great, and, and this, this is the first song. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. And then the second song. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy all nations will come and worship before you for your righteous deeds have been revealed. So the martyrs here are, are singing two songs. The first song tells of God's faithfulness to Israel. There, um, and, and is his being true to his covenant with Israel. Now the, the difficulty here uh, for those who want to find this in the Old Testament, is there are no exact 
wordings that appear in the Old Testament. There are some close ones, and uh, I, I won't go into them, but if, if, if you care to know what they are, if you look in uh, Exodus 15 and Deuteronomy 32, great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty, true and uh, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Uh, you, you get a sense of, of that verbiage in both Exodus 15 or Deuteronomy 32. But there's also similar sounding verses in Psalm 111, 2 and 3, Jeremiah 10, verse 7, Psalm 86, verse 9, and Psalm 98, verse 2. So it looks like, you know, there's the, the, this, these songs are being pulled from a, uh, a couple of different sources in what we know is, as the Old Testament. Then the second song looks to the future. And what it's talking about is it is, re, it is uh, rejoicing over the return of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period, the second coming. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. Notice that's all in the, in the future tense. So there are, they know this is about to happen, and so they're singing on the one hand praises to God for his faithfulness to the children of Israel, to his people, his faithfulness to his covenants. And then the second song that they're singing is, we are happy that you're coming back and all nations are going to bow before you because only you are holy. This character, this antichrist who tells everyone he was holy and the false prophet who told everyone that he was holy are, are dead wrong. And uh, so they're rejoicing that, that, that God is now finally going to bring his plan to completion and that justice is now going to be uh, brought to the earth. All right, then the scene turns towards the heavenly temple. There's a temple in heaven, which contains the Ark of the Covenant. And I'm going to turn uh, to the NASB, the, the New American Standard Bible, for what I think is the best 21st century translation that makes the most sense to us. So let me read this for you. Verse 5 in uh, chapter what 15. Chapter? Uh, we're still in 15, chapter 15. Okay. Verse 5, this is the NS, NASB, and I picked it for a reason. Then I looked and saw that the temple in heaven, God's tabernacle, was thrown wide open. The seven angels who were holding the seven plagues came out of the temple. They were clothed in spotless white linen with gold sashes across their chests. Then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl. Roshni mentioned the bowls a minute ago. A gold bowl filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power. No one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completed pouring out the seven plagues. 
And the key, I think, to understanding verse this passage is in verse 5. I looked and saw that the temple in heaven, God's tabernacle, was thrown wide open. I think David Hawking has a good handle on the interpretation here. The significance of the temple being thrown open and then the tabernacle. What was in the tabernacle? Ark of the Covenant. What was in the Ark of the Covenant? The law. I know these answers, but I'm just dead in the head right now. You're, you're what? I know these answers. I just can't think of it. It's slow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, when you question it, it's like, dang it, I need my curry. <laughs> you need your curry? <laughs> Will that help? All right. <laughs> yes, I think so. So, <laughs> so here's David Hawking's interpretation that what's being thrown open is the law of Moses. The covenants that God made with Israel are now going to come to completion and be fulfilled. <laughs> also a representation of the judgment that now will come upon those who have actively opposed God and rejected his, his plan for redemption. So seven plagues are now going to be let loose on the earth and is now inhabited only by those who reject and, and oppose Christ. And chapter 16 is actually going to uh, describe those, those seven plagues. So that, that concludes the sidebars, the details of what happens between the end of Revelation 11, the end of 15, and the beginning of 16. So let, let me do two things here. First of all, let me read the end of Revelation 11 and the beginning of Revelation 16. And if you think of bringing them together, it's a, it, it, it's a nonstop chronology, right? So 12 and 15 were that interim point with a bunch of details. Now we're continuing the chronology. So let me put 11 and 16 together. Listen to how this reads. Chapter 11. Then in heaven the temple of God was opened, and the ark of his covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed and roared, and there was an earthquake and a terrible hailstorm. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then, right after that, then I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. So you see the flow there? The end of 11, the beginning of 16, you can put them right together, and that's where it belongs. That, that's, it's, it's picking right up in the, uh, in the chronology. Now, let me throw chapter 15 in there in the mix as well. So I've, I've thrown 11 and 16 together. Let me try to insert 15 in there so that maybe this, this makes some sense. So I'm going to read uh, towards the end of chapter 15, verses 5 through 8, then the end of chapter 11, the end of chapter 16. S see how this rolls in, in, in terms of flow. Okay, here we go. Chapter 15. Chapter 11, chapter 16. 
Then I looked and saw that the temple in heaven, God's tabernacle, was thrown wide open. The seven angels who were holding the seven plagues came out of the temple. They were clothed in spotless white linen with gold sashes across their chests. Then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power. No one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completed pouring out the seven plagues. Chapter 11. Then in heaven the temple of God was opened, and the ark of his covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed and roared, and there was an earthquake and a terrible hailstorm. Chapter 16. Then I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. So you see how that fits together? Uh-huh. Yet, yes, 12 through 15 are is that sidebar period, but that last part of chapter 15 meshes with the end of chapter 11, and they both segue right into chapter 16. Does that, am I making sense there? Stunned silence. You have to read it twice. Say that again. I just have to read it again. So that way, you know, I have to go through the chapter really well. I hear it. I read it, but it's like you have to read it for it to digest. Yeah. Absolutely. So here's, here's what to look for. As after you put all after we've read 15 and we head into 16, uh-huh. read chapter 15, verses uh-huh. 5 through 8. Uh-huh. Then read chapter 11, verse 19. Okay. Same thing's happening. And then read verse 16. Verse, I'm sorry, chapter 16, verse uh, 1. So... Okay. 15, 5 through 8, and eleven nineteen are all talking about the same thing happening. And they both point directly, and they flow directly into verse 1 of chapter 16. So uh, the point being, we're, we're done with uh, the, the pause. We've hit, we hit the pause button in 12 through 15. We looked at details that are happening all over the place chronologically. You can't, you can't put 12 through at least 14 in really in chronological order. You have to attach it to other parts of Revelation. But then that last part of chapter 15 and the end of chapter 11 are the same point in history, and they segue right into what's happening chronologically in chapter 16, verse 1. I don't know if you guys see this uh, as far as reading this revelation so far. Like, when I was reading it, you know, and I was just meditating on it, and 
I thought about revelations in regards to the Jews that don't believe in Jesus Christ, right, Michael Douglas? Um, it's interesting, you know, they do have that seven candles, you know, um, the lampstand, right? And mm-hmm. they light it up every year for their uh, Jewish holiday, the Hanukkah. And yet we know by reading Revelations, right, the purpose in regards to that, of the future that's going to take place in Revelation. Um, I just praise God for that because he's given us the, you know, he's given us this insight as believers in Christ. And my heart, you know, I, is sensitive to those who don't know this, who are Jewish people who are the, you know, really stuck there that have not gotten that reason of, I mean, they do have an understanding of their, you know, why they're celebrating it and why they're doing this ritual. But then there is this link to the future that's going to take place in revelations that they're missing out. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And Um, and that's God's grace and his, him coming through on his promises to the children of Israel. Uh, that's, that, yeah, that's why those two witnesses are out there. That's why the 144,000 were protected. Um, mm-hmm. and, and again, if you remember, the 144,000, unlike the two witnesses, the two witnesses were, I mean, they were like evangelists on steroids. You know, <laughs> they were, they were <laughs> God gave them miraculous powers even. Uh, to try to get through people, and but then the 144,000, it, it's more what I, I guess I, I term it life, uh, lifestyle evangelism. Yeah. You know that that First Peter 2:12 principle. By the way they are acting, by the way they are carrying out their faith, walking out their faith, uh, practicing what they preach, uh, so to speak. Uh, people, their fellow Jews are coming to Christ because of just the way they're living their life. And that's a testament to God being true to his promises to the nation of, of Israel. And uh, that's why I think it's, it's heartbreaking. Those that subscribe to a replacement theology where they feel the, the church has replaced us. No, no. I mean, we in revelation, we see God doing everything that he can to bring the nation of Israel back, back to him. And, that, and as you mentioned, that's, that's a testament to his love and his grace and, and his mercy. So we have a lot of praise and um, we do have a lot of praise to God as we do read Revelation. You know, there is a lot more good in it than bad. Like some people see it as negative, right? Um, some people see it as negative now, but there's a plan for God's purpose to be taken place here for the future, for, you know, for his grace. That's the, the, the grace that he has, that is, what you mentioned. I, I think it's very powerful for us as believers to be praising him as we do do revelation. There's something so beautiful to look forward to. Ab- absolutely. And I think, you know, the, 
The issue with Revelation is that God is demonstrating that he is going to be true to his word and he's going to bring final judgment upon sin. And he's going to bring judge. I mean, what, what's happening here is he is taking out those who've been killing his children. He is taking mm -hmm. out those who have lined up with the enemy and are flat out in warring against him. And mm -hmm. it is not like today where our, our justice is probably our, our judicial system is probably the best in the world, but it's flawed because it's run by human beings. Mm -hmm. God's justice is perfect. And that's why, you know, that's why we see this rejoicing. So I think part of the emphasis, and, you know, we, we tend to, to focus on the negative, you know, but remember, mm -hmm. God is, God is not punishing, punishing innocent people. Uh, he, he is he is he is giving his judgment reigning his judgment upon those who have actively opposed him and who have been persecuting uh his people and so mm -hmm. god's judgment will be perfect and it will be final there mm -hmm. there will not be any more judgments that, that that are needed and so uh this all leads up of course to christ uh and his return and setting up the uh, millennial kingdom and that that you know that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit but you're right roshni i think we, we need to look at revelation and acknowledge where god's grace is operating throughout it and and how he bends over backwards to make sure that mm -hmm. the nation of israel uh comes through and and uh, experiences uh its its redemption and its reconciliation with him. Hmm. Yeah. Any uh, any other um, comments? I know this is <laughs> this is like opening up a fire hydrant, right? And having you drink out of a fire hydrant. Uh, it's, try to simplify. Yeah, a lot of rushing in there. Uh, try to not simplify it, but 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 try to make it as uh, understandable as possible as we go along. Any other questions? Any other observations? With all this that's going on in our environment, do you have people calling you and asking you more about Revelation? I mean, do you do you have that going on at this point with other believers? Because a lot of them, you know, not a lot of them, some of them are thinking this is, you know, we're in the rapture. Well, our... Our thing, our times here aren't really public, so I don't know that that people would know to call me. You know, to be honest with you. Okay, because you put I it mean, on Facebook, like we're studying that. So I was just curious. Oh, you know, which is good. I'm glad you do. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm putting up the recordings now on on Transistor uh, FM. Oh. Um, oh. Wow. Every week, so, and you'll you'll get that on your text. In a day or two, okay. it'll it'll show where the uh, the last study was. If you want to review it, or for those you know that weren't able to make it today, like like Janetta, uh, so I'll continue to do that. Um, okay. I kind of intentionally don't broadcast it uh, because I, I I just feel God is taking us as a small group through this. And 
we have there's safety in this group to ask questions and 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 to disagree and and all of that and and you pull people in from the outside that don't understand uh, how to operate in a safe environment and it destroys it uh so i'm not trying you know uh, i'm i'm not trying to be exclusive all i'm saying is you need a safe environment where you can ask questions without worrying about how people are going to perceive those questions and uh, or be attacked <laughs> that doesn't always happen in a large environment yeah mm-hmm true uh no you need to unmute here let me see if i okay. can help you there you go can you hear me i can't can you hear, hear me now <laughs> yeah um i'm in trouble with my phone but anyway um, does this, does, does any of what's going on now, um, in our current scenario, um, around the world, does this fit with some of these looking at other countries? Are, are they, particularly the Middle East, which I don't tend to do a whole lot of, except when we were there, um, are, are, are they preparing, where are the, they, since a lot of this is going to happen over there, where are they in the um, kind of in preparation for some of this happening, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think uh, the only country nation that we can point to right now with a lot of certainty as coming from the north would be russia uh certainty or uncertainty certainty yeah i think we can say with with a lot of certainty uh given the expanse of that nation um given its location uh, given where the attack patterns are going to happen from three different directions uh, upon Israel in the Battle of Armageddon, um, I, I think we, we, we can say with, with a fair amount of certainty that it's probably Russia that's, that's coming from the north. The other two, I, I think, are kind of nebulous right now. You know, the Middle East changes, <laughs> you know, a lot. And well, so, I think China isn't doesn't isn't it always been thought that China is the is the other one? It's Russia, China, and then, however, the Middle East. But but are these countries? I mean, certainly, what we're seeing in China play out is certainly preparing them. Well, I don't know that China, as we know it today, is going to be involved. I wouldn't be at all Russia eventually take over mm -hmm. China and incorporate China into its domain, so to speak. And uh, so China may well be involved, but I think it will be involved as having been merged into another nation state, which, well, Russia is not a nation state, into another s state. Um, a nation state means that a state that has that is homogeneous in, in terms of uh, its its peoples and Russia is very homogeneous 
uh, or heterogeneous rather, heterogeneous. It has many different kinds of people. And so I, I think that will continue. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see China enveloped into Russia by the time this all happens. I don't know that for a fact. I'm just looking ahead and, and thinking that's probably when we get, by the way, when we get into next week into chapter 16, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the theories of, of who these three uh, nations are that, that attack Israel and uh, what they may correspond to today. I think it's, okay. I think it's going to boil down to geographical placement and whoever happens to have control over those uh, pieces of geography at the time that this all goes down. I think the geography is going to drive who the, who the, who the nations are. Uh, that, that occupy that geography at, at the time that Armageddon happened. It's, okay. it's very interesting um, that, you, that, that you have a different um, take on that. I was just, I'm excited to hear why uh, you didn't see more of China, because when I was doing theology, something must have changed through the years then, from when I was doing theology to now, that, that maybe, you know, the the whole understanding of when they was told it was told that it was going to be Russia and China, but you're saying it it's not going to be the direction of China. It's going to be because of the reason why you stated. My my theory is that Russia may envelop China. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, and that when. Russia attacks from the north, the Chinese are going to be part of that. But again, aligned with okay. Russia? I'm sorry? Aligned with Russia? Part of aligned, Russia. Aligned uh, as their allies? No, I think they may become part of Russia. Oh, interesting. interesting. Wow. I, I didn't, yeah. That's yeah. Very and that, again, that's, that's, that's my theory. If you go back okay. to um, political thought in the, in the 1970s, late 70s, a lot of historians and universities correctly said, and remember the Cold War was happening in, in, in progress at that point. Um, the way the world Russia, okay. Yeah, let, let me. Russia. Now remember, this is in the 1970s. Russia is our short-term enemy of the United States, but China is the long-term enemy of the United States. That has proved to be true. However, we're not talking about the United States of America. Now we're talking about. Israel. Yeah. And right. so it's a slightly different thing. I, I, I just wouldn't be surprised because I think Russia is, is planning on a comeback <clears throat> uh, big time. And I don't know that the Chinese will be able to stand against Russia. Or they may ally and, and they may be you know, they may come as part of Russia. That that may be as well. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Russia envelop 
China. Again, just 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 my. It's such a weak theory. nation now, though comparatively. Russia. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's, yes, it that's is. What it doesn't have an economic power. Right, but it will. <laughs> <laughs> It will, because it as you look again. I think, uh, I think we can. We have enough evidence to say there's a good chance that that power, one of those powers coming against Israel, is going to come from uh, the geo the geographical place where Russia operates right now. And uh, hmm. I, 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 Mike. I can you hear me? I don't know if I'm on video or not. Yes, this is you are. Years ago, um, when I was attending a church in Modesto, they went into their scenarios 30 years ago, and they said they couldn't find any evidence of the United States in the in the in all this ending stuff in Revelation. And they said the United States had done something to destroy itself. Is that anywhere in here? Is there an indication that that is in modern theology? Uh, it it's nowhere biblically, um, but I I think they're right. My sense is that when the battle wages in the Middle East in Armageddon, the United States either will have ceased to exist or will not be involved. Now I'm, I'm going to give so you. What's going right now? We will cease to exist, um, in um, um, certainly in power um, at the rate that we're going now, um, which would make that accurate. I don't think that that we 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 won't play into it. I I've always heard that too. We're we're not going to play anywhere near in the end time. Yeah, I, I, I think there's, uh, I, th I think we can say decisively that the United States of America, as we know it today, is not a player in, uh, in Revelation. Now, I'm going to give you, and I'm not going to name him, there, there's a, a guy that uh, is, is, well, anyway, there's a guy who came to me on uh, one morning I was preaching on this uh, on anyway, he came to me and he says, I have proof that the United States of America will be a factor in revelation and will be part of it. I said, really? Where, where do you see that? He said, is the word Jerusalem in revelation? I said, well, I mean, yeah, it's, he says, well, it's J-E-R-U-S-A-L-E-M. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, are, are you, are you off your medication today? What's happening with that? That's so and funny. And he was, he was serious. And I said, no, no. <laughs> No. Uh, anyway, so that was that's, just, that's, but it just shows you, 
some of the stuff that's out there. But yeah, anyway, coming back to the question, uh, no, um, no evidence that I can see that that uh, this this nation would be involved. Now, you know, whether it has imploded by that time, whether it's around, but everything's happening in the Middle East, I don't know. Uh, but looking at Revelation and then studying it from, you know, the perspective of some professors that I, that I trust and respect, I, I don't, th- there's no evidence that I see that, that the United States will be a player. Why, we don't know. Only God knows that. But the, the, anyway, that, that's my answer to your, to your question. Could it be his grace if, if we don't implode? It'll only be God's grace. Right. Really, yes. seriously. Uh, because yeah. as I've told a lot of you before, I agree. From COVID-19 to the civil unrest, the riots that we're experiencing, I see it as a spiritual battle. And it's whatever it is, however it's solved, it's going to be God stepping in one way or the other. And it, it depends upon the prayers of his people and the response of his people. Uh, I, I don't believe this is, I don't believe God is in heaven with his arms folding going, what are those goofy Americans doing now? You know, uh, I think the, the enemy and remember, the United States of America has not always exported well, honestly, but has been the major exporter of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the yeah. world. Yeah. And so the enemy naturally, I think, now is saying, uh, hey, I found, a, I found the Achilles heel. I found a crack. I found a fissure. And, uh, and so I believe that all of the, the COVID-19 and, and uh, the civil unrest and the, div- the racial divisiveness is at its core the enemy at work. And the more we treat it as a spiritual battle, the better off we're going to be. If we keep treating it without God in the mix, we're in, in deep wahooey. Wahooey is a theological term. Yes. Pastor Mike. Yes. You said, I talked about it's imploding. Tell me, does that mean all of us will die? United States of America will no longer exist as a land, will fall into the sea, or somebody else will take us over. What do you no, yeah, mean what, by it? Okay, yeah, thank you uh, to clarify that. My belief, when I say implode, uh, what I mean is that our structure of government will fall and will likely be replaced by socialism or Marxism. Um, Well, that's bad news. Yeah. uh, Now, that's the negative side of it. and, And again, this is my opinion. I don't believe that we can survive as a nation without returning to the foundations of the Judeo-Christian ethic. 
the Constitution, the laws that we have, the, the implementation of our system of government is all founded upon, it, it, it balances upon yeah. integrity and a Judeo-Christian ethic. It doesn't mean you have to be a Christian or a Jew. What it means is, though, that those tenets must right. be in place or uh -huh. you pull the legs out from under the country and it just collapses upon itself. Does that make does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Splinter and you're saying splinter into pieces. No. When you say collapses, you mean just our system of government. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and it will be replaced. Yes. Yeah. yeah. With, okay. With with a system that will be anti Judeo Christian. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, we it, see it's, that happening. Uh, yeah. So I, now See, I'm the I I'm a um I am not a pessimist. I'm not either. I I always feel that if we respond to God, there's always hope. And so I don't I don't wake up every morning worrying that the country's gonna fall apart. I I wake up in the morning going, okay, God do your thing and I pray for you to do your thing. And what do you want me to do uh, to in, in, in response to your command? And so I, I think as long as, and he always will be, God is on his throne and there are people of God left that there's always, there's always hope. Now we see those big revivals that you talked about last time, starting in Huntington beach, we see revivals. Yeah. And, that's a very interesting guy. <laughs> I, uh, I, I did a thing, a little study on him on, on the podcast the other night. His name is Sean Foyt, F-E-U-C-H-E. Uh -huh. yeah. And that guy is amazing. I mean, he, he's not bitter. Uh, no. he, 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 was, he started out as a worship leader, and he's just saying, hey, we're going to worship God and, and bless everyone. And, and he's not there, you know, shaking his fist and cursing the government. He's just saying, my God is my God. You're not. And, and, <laughs> and we're going to, let's worship him. And so you see all this happening uh, in, in uh, his presence in Sacramento, uh, in, in the beaches. Uh, he's going to be in Portland on August 8th, I think. It's at a week from now, right? Right, correct. My niece loves him, and she said he's been fantastic. And the followers, they're just very loving people from what I gather. Yeah, I mean, I'm watching the videos, and I'm going, <laughs> there's no animosity there. They're just people worshiping no. God. And, and so, uh, anyway, he's going to be in Portland at... Uh, uh, I think it's Waterfront Park. Uh -huh. It's very interesting because I think that's the same place that Luis Palau wow. started his uh, revivals. And, and not, not when he first began, but he did revivals there in Portland. 
Long story behind that, uh, the mayor at the time was an avowed... Uh, 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 atheist? Atheist, a atheist and gay person, uh, both. And, and I think it was Kevin Palau, his son, they went to him and said, look, you know, what, what, can I, what can we do in this ministry to help you? He said, well, how about if you do this? And they did it. And they, we'll do that. And they did it. And so Kevin developed a relationship uh, with this guy. And they, they affirmed that they, they, they don't see religion the same way. They don't, they don't see life the same way. But they share the same, we call them uh, points of grace, uh, areas where their interests intersect. And actually, the, the mayor at that time became very supportive. But part of it was this um, rally, so to speak, this revival that occurred, I think, at that same park. And it, was, it unleashed a lot of uh, service in the city. And, you know, the problem with that, though, is sustaining it, uh, to not make it an event. <coughs> And I'm getting into ABC territory here, but, you know, to, to sustain it uh, requires something different than an event uh, where people check it off the list and, and, and move on to something else. But anyway, it is going to be very interesting to see what God does there next week. And I'll, I'll be watching that uh, very, very, very carefully. What's Sean's last name? It's, it's pronounced Foyt. But it's spelled F as in Frank, E U C H T, F E U C H T. But it's pronounced Foyt, like F O Y T is how it's pronounced. Foyt. Okay. Yeah. So All right. It sounds like this guy, this sounds like this guy gets it, that he knows that God is sovereign, you know, and he's got everything in control. And yes. he's doing what he's called, you know, to worship and honor God in the midst of all these things that's going on, you know? Yeah, and he, and he looks like the, the, Jesus people movement, the Jesus movement people out of the 1970s. You know, he's got oh, long he hair, like and, 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 he's just, and he's got this kind of kickback, a little, little oh, bit really? of a surfer attitude. Oh, yeah. And, and he's yeah. just... You know, he's in his, you know, flowery shirt, and he's just, yeah. to me, it's a kickback to, uh, you know, the Jesus movement that broke out on the beaches, and, and Chuck Smith had a lot to do with in, in the founding of Calvary Chapel back in the 1970s, right, Lori? Uh, so he, he's I, I more so. like a hippie, is that right? I haven't seen him, so I have to check this out. Uh, yeah, go, uh, his website is Sean, S-E-A-N, Foyt, F-E-U-C-H-T dot com, Sean Foyt dot com. And uh, there's pictures of him there, and, and there's clips of some of the worship things that, that he's doing. And he's, uh, I think he's, I think... He's, he's not materialistic man. at all. He's what? <laughs> he's not materialistic at all, Lori said. Not, not materialistic. No. 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 Sounds like the early day descriptions of um, Damien Kyle at uh, 
Calvary Chapel when he was downtown in the warehouse and in the park. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we need a revival. It would be wonderful if this led to a revival. I guess we could pray for that really, really a whole lot. Well, and um, we did an interview with Jim Morgan from Meet the Need. And Jim Morgan has done a very intelligent study on the revivals of the past where we've kind of gone astray with trying to force revivals of today and what would be wise to do in terms of revivals for the future. And um, if you like, I can go over that briefly next week. We're way over time today, but yeah. uh, it, it'll take hour. just a couple of minutes. <laughs> but it's very interesting. Very interesting because uh, yeah. when, when people say, and, and I'm not... I'm not talking about your definition, but as I hear the word revival thrown around fairly glibly, people aren't talking about revival. They're talking about events. They're not talking about the long-term sustainable movement of God, which is what we want in a revival. Um, I'm not even sure the word is right. I think too, um, that the big question right now is the other one is as we, and we're not at that point now, but what will the church in the future? And you, I hope you, it's all out of doors. <laughs> you, you talked about it, honey, in your podcast, uh, or Jim talked about it, I think, some in his podcast. Um, because we have an opportunity to redo church because of the situation. Yeah, his, his thesis is, do we really want church to go back to being normal? That's not the title of it, but do we really do we want... want anything to go back to being normal? Well, yeah, and, that's and just then, one thing, isn't then, it? And then we have to define what normal is. That's right. <laughs> but Jim's thesis, just very quickly, is that we have it, it and I draw back here to um, Isaiah 43, 18, 19, where God says, I'm, I'm doing a new thing. He talks about, I'm, I'm, I'm making new roads through the desert. I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? That line is deadly. What mm -hmm. he was saying to the people of Isaiah's time through Isaiah was, don't you see what I'm doing? You're, you're, you're so steeped in your traditions and so steeped in the way you think that I work, you're missing what I'm doing. And I think God may be saying that today, to the church, you, especially in America, you're so busy building buildings, you're so busy getting mortgages, yes. you're so busy counting yes. noses and rear ends. Nickels. Uh, that, yeah, that you're, you're missing what I'm doing. And part of what I'm doing is Sean Foyt. So wake up. Are you watching? Are you looking at what I'm doing? And I think he's provided us the opportunity with the technology here to merge that up with new ways. And I think it's going to force the church 
out of the four walls into the community where it's supposed to be. And that will help bring revival. Although I, I see to me, the word revival means reviving something that used to be. Mike, it makes so much sense what you're saying, because you've always talked about people getting stuck in the four walls and, and the frozen chosen, but just can't you see <laughs> that these young people don't want to pay for buildings and they don't. Uh, yeah. And we'll, and I think a lot of things will happen out of doors like Jesus preached, you know, when it's, when it's possible, I don't think we're going to have these big buildings anymore. No, no. And, and I, I don't want you to misunderstand me just like the Billy Graham crusades. Yes. were effective in their time, right? Right. Ecclesiastes. Right. There's a time for every, a season for every Everything. activity under heaven, yeah. right? There was True. a time when the big buildings, the mega church, God used powerfully to take the gospel to the world. Yes. I, my belief is we are on the downside of that time. God is creating new things. <laughs> new ways of evangelizing, new ways of caring. And, and, and a lot of that is not, not first and foremost proclamation. It's building relationships, praying, caring, sharing. And, uh, and through those relationships that are built through service and compassion, meeting needs, praying, exactly. caring, through those relationships, then we earn, and, and Jim Morgan said as well, we earn the right in today's culture to share our faith. And you say, well, what do you mean earn the right? We always have the, well, not as far as other people are concerned. They're saying, look, yeah. we got a bazillion different religions coming at us. We got a bazillion different theologies and doctrines. You guys can't even decide on on one doctrine or or one theology. Look at how you have you, have, you know, fifth, 150 or fifteen thousand denominations or what fifteen hundred denominations, whatever it is. And so there's and and so we really have to establish credibility with yeah. the people that are around us. And when we're real, when we're meeting their needs, when they, when they know that we really care about them, we're just not meeting the need to ask them the diagnostic question. We're meeting the need because we really care about them. Then relationship and trust builds. And then we are quote unquote, earning the right in their eyes to share our faith. And then, and I think that's going to be the evangelism of, the future, at least for the United States of America in the next 10, 10, 20 years, maybe. You know, I the, think also, too, um, also, I think, too, in this in the situation as, a, you know, buildings are closed. I mean, honestly, to me, this is me. I thinking it's a plus. I think a positive. I think it's a positive thing. I think as individuals, we somewhat got lost in the purpose of why we are believers in Christ. You know, and I think it's a time, a great time to assess ourselves right now and who, our, what our identity is in Christ. Was it the building? Was it to go there for a click? Was it there for a show? You know, things like that. I think this is a good time for us as individuals to really focus on 
on what is the whole reason why we are believers in Christ. Why were we saved? What is God calling us to do as individuals, not from the influence of other people within the building, but individually with Jesus Christ? That's a good That's point, Josh, because yeah. it's true. A lot of people in the past, uh, well, I shouldn't say a lot of people, I don't seem to go, go for the not for the spiritual worship but but for the uh, for the whatever and it's okay i mean they're going because it's a great big group that they're used to well they also it, it sometimes can encourage us in our in our growth to be around other believers like we're all here and i hope that we're right. all encouraged one another and there's a healthy feeling to that however the sermon i was in this morning when i was at church on the lawn over at shelter cove his whole sermon, the, the crux of that was um, religion versus a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and we build the buildings and to practice a religion with our rules and regulations. And we hope that coming from that will be a relationship with Jesus Christ. Relationship with Jesus Christ should probably be first and the building built to meet and fill, fill the roles. And sometimes yeah. that does not happen. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, the, the purpose of somebody like me as a shepherd, pastor, teacher dude is to equip you, the saints, to carry out God's mission to serve. That's my job is to help equip you to go out and do the ministry. And we're such saints. <laughs> <laughs> you are. And, and, but that's the, to me, that's the same function of the building. The building yeah. is there to help equip you to serve. Now, uh, is it also a, an ER spiritually? Yes. Uh, it's where people come. But that's all part of equipping because in order to serve, uh, you have to be healthy. And so part of that is to get you healthy uh, if you're not and to the point where you can serve. So, uh, but, but ultimately the purpose of the building is not to draw people into itself. Uh, the purpose of the building is to draw people to Christ. And, you know, our, and was it Roshni, did you say identity or was that you, Sandra? Yeah. No, okay. I would say okay. that that's identity in Christ. Yes, that's a big thing. I can't tell you how many pastors' conferences I've gone to. Well, what denomination are you? Well, what does it matter? And I get this. Well, well I'm Presbyterian. Oh, okay, I'm a follower of Christ, so can we find some common ground? Um, I don't care what denomination you are as long as we share jesus christ you know that's so that identity yeah. identity thing is real important roshni you're exactly right our identity needs to be in christ not in our denomination not in our uh and and, and church needs to be redefined as people not as a location or or an institution that's and right. this is a time to really understand if the church equipped us in the right proper direction, 
we will be a great influence in our community as one-on-one -on -one with other people building that relationship. But if they didn't equip us, uh, then crap, I'm sorry, they can do their job right, you know, because then the people are not going to go into the community as building relationship with one-on-one -on -one when they get a chance. They're going to feel afraid still, and they're going to feel intimidated. And that, that, that itself is, you know, whoever or whatever church they went to didn't do that part. That itself is going to be there. Um, they're going to stand before God because they were equipped to do that for the body of Christ. You know, you know all of this sharing that we're doing, that requires a whole where we need to get together and share with one another. And from that, we will all grow in our, um, we'll feel good about it. We will all grow in our ability to help others and do what Jesus really wants us to do. That's, that's the gathering together that I feel uh, it, we leave it to the church to go and do that. But uh, here we are, all of us, really communicating and encouraging one another to proceed with what we think is the right thing to do, which is um, expand our relationship with Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and in the circumstances that are those that are helpful, you know, you know uh, share it with others. And, you know, that concept has been around since I first became a Christian, but the church I belong to really, I felt, got lost in the big buildings and raising the money for the buildings, not helping the people. Yeah, and, and you, you really quoted a lot of what the Apostle Paul uh, was about. Yeah. And iron sharpening iron, uh, encouraging each other, holding each other up. Uh, that, that, that can't happen in solitude. That can't happen in isolation. That has to happen in community. And Jesus built a community, and it's called the body of Christ. And there are no hierarchies there except for him as, as the head. Uh, everything else is a toe, an ear, a nose, uh, you know, all, all parts of the metaphorical body are needed. Um, Don't you think that that's part of what the, the battle is right now between good and evil? Because what Satan is trying to do is just to keep us apart. And yeah. from this, I mean, there are some people who can't participate very well in this kind of thing. Isn't that a large part of what this is? I think probably, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, we've gone uh, and by like... by the way, I apologize. Yeah. I apologize for you saying the word crap. I'm around with real people, with all backgrounds of people, <laughs> with different backgrounds of religion and race and all that. So I kind of just like, okay, hey. ah, I picked up a little bit of home people personality. Yeah. Listen, I'm an ex-cop. Nothing. <laughs> me. If, <laughs> if crap is the worst I ever say, I would be good. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, listen, well we, me too. We've and gone. The news nowadays that is not even a yeah. um, an expletive anymore. No, okay. that's that's <laughs> mild. Yeah. All right, look, we, we've gone, thank you for your patience. We, we've gone like 50 minutes over time, which is fine. I, I think God was in that and the spirit was in it and, and some good conversation. Um, but I also want to honor the fact that you probably have other things to do and you might like to eat dinner in the process. 
So uh, excellent discussions today. Thank you. That that yes. blesses me, really. Thank you, Mike. That that you that that you're willing to do that. So um, how about Lee? Would you can you uh, would you mind closing us in prayer today? I'd love to. Father, I want to thank you for this class and all the preparation that goes into it. And Lord, thank you for all the wisdom that we've gleaned uh, through it. I'd like to pray for everyone in the class, Anne, Lori, Mike, John, Sandra, Roshni. Um, Father, give them blessings all week. And Brenda uh, and Janetta, I'm not sure if they're there, but Lord... Uh, you know all the things we need and help us to go out and be light and take this sermon to heart and father help us to be the best we can be and put the people that you would like us to help in front of us I pray for Josh and Heather and John Paul and uh, Sandra's children and my children father just uh, lead them to you give them wisdom and and a very good direction in life and Father, we thank you for all our many blessings in the midst of the turmoil. You're the solid rock we stand on. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, everyone. Great time Bye-bye. today. Bye-bye. Thank you for a wonderful study, man. Thank you, John. All right. Blessings, everybody. All right. Bye, John. Take care, Brother John. Virtual hugs to you, John. <laughs>